Cast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. Picture it. Chicago, 1927. The summer sun bearing down on the streets below. A band of African-American blues musicians gather for a recording session at a white-owned studio. Tensions start to rise between the mercurial matriarch Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player Levy, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues. That, my friend, is the setting for our episode today as we examine the latest adaptation of Pulitzer Prize winning playwright August Wilson's work, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, starring Chadwick Boseman in his posthumous performance, after he lost his battle with cancer earlier this year, and Viola Davis as the capricious and complicated Ma Rainey. The film is getting quite a bit of attention and accolades from critics and audiences alike, including multiple wins from critic circles all across the country in the last couple weeks. Does it deserve its praise? Does it live up to the expectations created from the last August Wilson adaptation, which won an Oscar for Viola Davis just a few years ago? Does Chadwick Boseman stick the landing in his final performance? We will go over all of that and more with my guest, writer-performer Marvin Pittman, who many of you will remember from our episode on the passing of Chadwick Boseman just a few months ago. We will bring you that conversation in just a minute, but first a word from our friends at Forgotten Entertainment. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, welcome back. We will get to our review of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in just a moment. But first, I wanted to urge all of you to check out our guest Marvin Pittman's work. He is a writer and critic for the website Forces of Geek with his series Blurred Vision. We had him on last time because he wrote an amazing and touching tribute to Chadwick Boseman after his passing. So I encourage you all to check out that piece as well as the rest of his work on Forces of Geek and follow him on Twitter at Marvin Pittman. And of course, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. We will be back next week with our review of George Clooney's latest film, The Midnight Sky, which is out today if you are listening to this on the day release. 
So check that out and come back next week to hear what we have to say. All right, let's get to our review for this week, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with special guest Marvin Pittman. Give it a listen. Way down south in Alabama, I got a friend they call Dancing Sammy, who's crazy about all the latest dancing. Black Bottom Stomps and the new baby prancing. The other night at a swell affair, soon as the boys found out that I was there, they said, All right, super excited to have this man back. We had such a a great time, even though it was a more somber topic and occasion the last time you were here. Um, my buddy Marvin Pittman's back. I'm, I'm so happy. Uh, he did a great article uh, under his Blurred Vision series for Forces of Geek on Chadwick Boseman. Uh, and I figure we talked back then, Marvin, that it would be a great idea to have you come back and, and speak on Ma Rainey and kind of, you know, unfortunately end a chapter, uh, you know, end you know, a career here with uh, Chadwick Boseman. But, you know, what a way to go out. I'll, I'll at least say that to kind of lead in. But uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, great to be here again and to talk about Chadwick some more and talk about what I thought was was pretty awesome movie that we just saw. Yeah, I, I'm, I forget if we discussed it in any kind of length. I think we kind of just, you know, previewed it a little bit uh when we talked about chadwick and and what was to come or at least what was left uh in terms of his uh film career before uh unfortunately we have to to move on from that chapter of of his life um you know now that he's unfortunately passed but you know this movie uh, I, you know, for people who saw Fences or have seen an August Wilson play, you know, or, or obviously this one is adapted from the first of the, I think they call it like the, the, the Pittsburgh the cycle cycles. The, yeah. The 10 cycles. Yeah. The century cycle. Um, cause he has 10 of these. Um, and I know, uh, back in 2015, Denzel Washington announced that he was going to bring all 10 to the screen uh, in some regard, whether it's, you know, the big screen or whether it's television or any of those mechanisms. But uh, I know that he was kind of put to task between himself and um, August Wilson's, you know, widow uh, to actually, you know, bring everything out to the screen. And, you know, right. and so, some a- have been adapted before uh, for TV or HBO or PBS or whatever, such as like the, the piano lesson uh, right. with Charles S. Dutton. And, uh, you know, but this is like a whole new wave of them. And it's pretty interesting because you do have at the same time waves of actors and writers and performers who were contemporaries of, of Wilson's and were there for when he first was putting these things on stages and now, but now there's a whole other generation that came up within it and, you know, within him being a part of the canon, and now they're adding their parts to it. So it's interesting to see the two generations working together. Yeah. And I mean, Denzel couldn't be a better handpicked person here. I mean, he has a long history of, you know, doing 
the the stage performances of August Wilson's stuff, working on those uh, on Broadway or just off. And, you know, he also was involved heavily with Fences. He directed Fences. He was the right. star of Fences. Um, and that was the first one of these that they brought out in terms of the Century Cycle stuff. And, you know, now this one, it's the first one of them. And they finally have brought these and now it looks like i think he announced back in september uh that they're gonna do the piano lesson again and uh that they want to uh bring john david washington samuel L. jackson uh into the fold with barry jenkins directing and if he gets all oh, of that amazing. together my that's goodness amazing. that would oh yeah that's an all barry jenkins team. barry jenkins i mean moonlight it was so excellent and beautiful and poignant and, you know, and the way that it was shot and the way that it was constructed and all that sort of stuff. And just the sensitivity to where you can see a director's hand move you into the way those characters see things. For sure. Doing things really hard to do takes a great amount of empathy and also like a lot of work to, you know, think, how does this person see it? Am I doing sure. this in the right way? And then he made uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, which yeah. did it again. Like, it's as good as Moonlight and, you know, and just as powerful and, and, and just as sad and just as moving. And, you know, with, with his, like, signature pieces of creating beautiful things and watching people make beautiful things. And, and uh, yeah, that'll be amazing. And, you know, part of the lure and allure of August Wilson was how much he was influenced by uh, black power movement, by the black arts movement, and that his work continues to be this magnet for uh, what do you call it? Like top tier or illustrious creative black performing arts talent. And for sure. just like we see in, in this movie, we, we saw, with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we, we, we get to see like a nice move of generations of super talented black actors who have been doing this for a long time. And you just get to see them just, just swimming and luxuriating in Wilson's words. So it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. And I mean, even if people aren't familiar as much with his plays and I will speak for myself i i am not i am only seeing it in its more cinematic form that you know even if you just compare this with fences you could definitely get a sense for august wilson's style that rat-a-tat dialogue you know this constant energy and long long monologues that he will do to illustrate uh, a point through a long story or any of these things he has this you know definite quality that like if i'm an actor i just want to chew those things up my goodness like and and he couldn't have picked two better people for this one if he was still alive and could hand pick so denzel did an excellent job of taking the the two leads but as you noted the the cast is incredibly deep um and every ounce of the people behind the scenes here are people that just know this story or know right. August Wilson's work inside out. I mean, George C. Wolfe, um, right. you know, is a Tony Award winning uh, director, producer, writer, actor. You know, Jelly's yeah. Last Jam, Angel and Angels in America has done uh, Broadway or work with 
August Wilson's work. Yeah, you know, his work the adaptation hand was written by Ruben Santiago Hudson, who yes. is another just illustrious name and just somebody that you know, no matter you know how much you follow this stuff or how much you don't follow this stuff, his is a name that if 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 you get even just a tiny bit deep into the industry workings of of you know theater and and TV and and, and film and all that stuff, like his name shows up again and again and again. And, and so when I yes. saw it was in the hands of, of of those two in terms of director and and screenwriter, I said, oh, you know, like you got the guys who who are the best guys to do this. Yeah, and not only knowing, uh, you know, August Wilson's work together, they've also worked together on Lackawanna Blues. So that not only do they have an understanding of August Wilson, they know they have an understanding of the blues. They have an understanding of each other and that interplay of how to bring, uh, you know, stage performance to making a more cinematic version of these things and the elements that are necessary to to pull that off. So I was so impressed, and and it keeps going on. I mean, good lord! I mean, Branford Marsalis doing the music here. Yes, uh, that's just showing off at this point. It's it's um, just an embarrassment of riches, and you know, and what often like hits my mind when you see product like this is why isn't there more, or why aren't we seeing these people doing even more things? You know, and we'll, we'll get to that more when we get to Viola Davis, by the way. But yes, I oh, 100% yes. agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, like Brantford Marsalis has, you know, I think he he picks and chooses his things very wisely. And I think that, you know, he's done, you know, he's obviously part of that first family of jazz, brother of Winton, you know, like has this illustrious you know, uh, incredible family that's just so talented. You know, he does the band leader stuff for the Tonight Show, so it kind of gives him a little more notoriety. But he, you know, to me, he doesn't need it because he's been a featured musician in like every Spike Lee movie for like, uh, like, like fifteen years, and then yeah, you and know, working work with, with Terrence Blanchard, Blanchard, and and, and all of that, and you know, and and I don't know, you know, how much of the production of this like went into 2020 but you know it, it would be interesting to look up you know Branford's participation in this and you know whether any of this also happened after and you mentioned the Marsalis family that you know the patriarch of that family was lost to COVID this year right. and you know and when you think about you know sort of the the elegiac notes in this movie and how did that trend, you know, whether there was a, a dovetail or whether there was something parallel from what Branford was going through and what he knew from his family and, and all the things that they've gone through that came through in the music? Because the music to me was it was both strong, but also knew how to get out of the way. Um, sure. And, you know, and the arrangements of Ma Rainey's band and all of that, you know, you could tell that everybody did their homework and and that was some of the most convincing pile of actors who look like they were really playing these instruments that I've seen in a while. And it's not by accident. I mean, uh, if even just taking what I know for uh, Chadwick uh, and how detailed, like I think once he got on board, he went to <laughs> Brandon Marsalis and was just like, so I need... Uh, like scales I need actual like finger charts for trumpet playing he basically learned how to play the trumpet on the fly for the movie which right. is 
not uh, just impressive, let alone just shows the level of detail that they didn't have to like cut around his performance with the trumpet and actually made it look legit. And I think that kind of uh, attitude, you know, spread throughout the band and that a lot of people kind of took that up and, and made it look, you know, seamless. Right. Because you think about how on a stage you could cheat all this stuff very easily, you know, like you don't have to look like you really know how to play this stuff to do it you know, a halfway decent job. You don't have close-ups. You, you know, and and there's a, a certain thing about seeing a stage play that you're already going in like ready to have some disbelief with you, and to just say, hey, if they're just gesturing that they're playing this instrument, then my mind is going to fill in the rest. Right. And I thought that the film did a really good job of being theatrical without being stagey. And that can be a tough thing to do at times when you're adapting a, a play for, for a movie. For sure. And I mean, it's kind of been the year of this uh, and, and seeing different versions uh, of play adaptations brought to screen. Um, One Night in Miami is coming out soon. Regina King's film. I've seen it because I uh, saw it through a film festival earlier in the year. And it, again, it's, um, and you know, the boys in the band came out from, from Netflix. Uh, you had the prom being a Broadway musical adaptation that they yep, brought. So there's been a lot of these. Well. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is definitely, it's hard to not feel claustrophobic in some of the set constructions and the staging when you're adapting a play, especially, you know, for a movie. Now this movie is not long. It's only about an hour and a half and, you know, and it moves. Uh, it's, it's well constructed, well edited. Um, but you do have to try to do so many things when you're legitimately talking about three rooms for right. most, uh, you know, two, three rooms for most of the 90 minutes. So you have to be inventive in your, uh, you know, this, like the blocking, the, the how to make a room feel claustrophobic only when you need it to, but also make it not seem repetitive in your setups. And, you know, it's it, or so static because then it can feel, like you said, very stagey. And and I think that they pulled it off uh, for the most part with this film for sure. Yeah, and you know, and you just made me think about how so much of this movie takes place in like three rooms, and in 2020, that's been a lot of our lives, right? Like, just, <laughs> yes. you know, like I, I, you know, very conscious of rooms um, yes. in this year because I had to spend so much time in in my home which is just, you know, a, a very, uh, a very uh, concrete set of rooms. And yes. <laughs> so, you know, I've lived my life in, in five rooms for most of a year now, uh, you yeah. know, nine months of a year. And you could see that all come together in this movie. You know, I really, I felt that sense. And especially when you think of like a hot room. And you think of oh, a hot yeah. room where the fan barely works and, and there's no air conditioning and, and, you know, and everybody here is it's the 1920s. So they're all here in like full suits and ties and dresses and, and all this stuff. And, and just, you know, that was also a part of like the, uh, the makeup and all that stuff that you could, you could see mm-hmm. the sweat on everyone, you know, and, and, you know, 
some of that I'm sure was, was a little bit of stage magic, but you know, I'm sure other parts of it were like, no, like they were really working on the, on this stuff and, and you really saw it all come through. And that's an alteration from George C. Wolf, by the way, from what I understand that, uh, the, the actual stage play is not set in the summer of, of Chicago that they wanted to make this one. You know, if you're going to have a movie where the tensions boil and everybody's kind of, you know, getting under each other's skin in in different varieties that you want it to kind of feel like you're kind of boiling inside this place and they they make it work because they did it through even just those early few scenes before they get into the recording studio just making it seem like the sun is just bearing down uh, as they're getting there from off the off the subway and everything else and it's it's very smart to make those small alterations. There's another alteration that we can get in kind of the spoiler stuff later of how they ended this film. Um, But, you know, it is is a little bit different, but you know, yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. So, so let's jump into the story now. I mean, so how familiar were, were you with this particular story? Have you seen the stage play? Had you, uh, in, had it in some other medium that I was unaware of either through people, like you said, PBS or anybody else that was there an adaptation that you were aware of before. You know, this was one that I didn't know all that much about. And, you know, I, I had known the name, I had known some basic things about, you know, what the story was, but, but I wasn't that familiar with it. You know, it's, it's one of those things sometimes where you, you see names or you see a title of a thing and you see it enough times that you have a, a little bit of working knowledge of it, but never right. really had the time to, to dig into it. And that I thought was, was a cool thing about getting this movie at this time, because I can have my, my internet fired up on my other screen and I can be like cross-referencing things or I can read a bunch of stuff afterward, which I did or rain of April on Twitter. Uh, you know, the, who was behind the Oscar so white hashtag and all that stuff. She, okay. she had worked with um, Netflix to have a hashtag up and do a viewing party. And so you had uh, people and uh, the Smithsonian uh, museum uh, dropping in just like some, some knowledge and dropping in some historical facts and, and such as the, uh, the Smithsonian, they had posted some things about the real life Ma Rainey. And so it was cool to see some of that stuff and to see some of the artifacts and whatnot. So, um, you know, I wasn't as familiar with this work as like a Fences or a Piano Lesson or a Lackawanna Blues. But, you know, knowing the, the things about Wilson's work that I did, I had expectations about what this was going to be like and what kind of story this is going to tell. And I think, uh, you know, the challenge that they have is that, people who are even just a little bit aware of what August Wilson means are going to have those same expectations and are going to know that in the same way that if you tell somebody, this is a Shakespeare or in the same way that if you tell somebody, this is an Arthur Miller, or this is a Tennessee Williams, uh, you know, that people are going to go in and say, like, I have some idea how this is going to go because I know how that author works. So yes. that's what that's what I, I walked into it with and knowing the actors who were going to be in this, having a, a very solid idea of what kind of work they were going to put out for this. 
For sure. And, and for anyone who isn't familiar with the story, I mean, it's it's Chicago in 1927. Like we said, it's the first one of those century cycles. So it, that's as far back as uh, this particular set of plays that August Wilson did uh, goes. Uh, and it's one of the rare ones that is not set in Pittsburgh uh, of all the other ones. Uh, this is a recording session for Ma Rainey. Uh, tensions rising between her, her ambitious horn player, uh, which is uh, Chadwick Boseman here, Levy, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues. Um, so uh, there's a lot more to that. There's so many different themes that run through this story. Um, so once it kind of unfolded, you know, it, the, I would like you did where you were doing your own research or kind of doing the watch party stuff and kind of learning more as you go. Netflix has also kind of done a little shorthand, small documentary, uh, that, you know, is available to watch as well. Uh, that's a half hour long that, uh, you know, talks with Denzel talks with George C. Well, everybody involved, um, and, uh, you know, gets a real sense of, you know, a lot of the things that, kind of like hit on the peripheral right like in in this um like uh, things like um you know uh things like you know the exploitation of black artists in the 20s blues era you know you have uh things like the great migration uh being kind of like a backdrop here um with people moving up from the south to going going north um you know, and and just, just essentially the changes Jim in, like, expectations and the changes in in attitudes and and you know that's where you have a character like Levy who has these aspirations of moving beyond the the circuit of the South and you know what what you know became called the the Chitlin circuit right and sure. and thinking that you know as you had this great migration happening that the music and the sound was going to change because you had the South moving north. And, you know, going from what he called jug music, which, you know, you hear yeah. some of that jug music over the credits where you can literally hear someone blowing into a jug. Right. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, and that like he, he what he was seeing was, you know, what was going what was happening in Harlem, what was happening in Chicago and happening in other other places to make the sound more of a, of a dance music and, and more of a quicker, like rolling sort of sound. And, sure. you know, but but you had Rainey and, and, and uh, other members of the band who were not interested in it, um, right. you know? And so it was, all of that comes to bear. There are all these things that are happening at the edges that are seeping into why everyone is doing exactly what they're doing. That if you just look at the surface of the story, you might not think that. And, you know, if you look at the surface of the story, you might think, oh, well, Ma Rainey's just a difficult person. And it's right. like, no, she's not a difficult person. She just won't compromise on things that no one has to compromise about. Or like in the case of the nephew who has the stutter and she wants him to record the intro. Right. It's not just because he's the nephew. It's because he's supporting his family back home. And this is her way of making sure that he can do that. And that, you know, for her, it's bigger than this kid has a stutter and it's going to take a long time to record this song you know, right. for her. She's always having to play multiple, multiple angles at the same time. And 
in the process of doing that, trying to be herself as much as she can. And in, in this performance by Viola Davis, Ma Rainey says, I'm 100% me all the time. You, right. you move to me. And I thought, you know, the intro of her on the Chitlin circuit and then that moving up to Chicago was really cool. But, you know, to me, like the real introduction of her was when everybody's waiting for her to arrive and you see her leaving the hotel and mm. she's got the, the girlfriend that she is just wrapping her arm around like, yeah, yes. I want you all to see. I want yeah. you all to see. And then, you know, she grabs the nephew and pulls him around like, yeah, I want you to see all of this. And, you know, and also, you know, when they keep shooting everyone who's looking at them disdainfully as they're leaving, uh, you know, it's also the, the colorism angle because everyone in else in there is very light skinned and Viola Davis is very clearly not. And, right. and, you know, and that she's, she's looking at them all as she's walking through, like, I have the money to be here just like you have the money to be here. So watch me strut out of here with all my right. finery and with my people in tow and getting into my fancy car that I just paid for. Exactly. And, you know, like you said, the abrasiveness is only from the side that is trying to control her. And right. and whether it be, you know, the management in this uh, scenario or whether it be, uh, the police on the street or whether it be just generally, you know, society looking down upon her, even though she doesn't deserve it. You know, there's so many things that, yeah, you can come off as abrasive when you're constantly trying to fight for for basic human rights, basic respect, uh, you know, or or just, you know, something basic artist rights, as we see within the music structure here. So there's a lot to un unpack here and so now once you got into the story and actually watched this film what stuck out for you what did you enjoy or or maybe you know what maybe you didn't enjoy well i think what i enjoyed the most was really just listening to the band just <laughs> yeah listening sure. to the band because wilson had had this great ear for dialogue right and just the back and forth the amount of back and forth and just it reminded me a lot of growing up with like my dad and growing up with my uncles and you know all these men in my family and when they would get together there was just constant shit talking <laughs> right. yeah you know? and it's like if you're going to walk into that room the guns are out they're yeah. always going to be out and you know everybody in there actually likes each other everybody in that room actually does respect each other but everybody's coming from different points of view and they're doing different things and even with the arguments and the disagreements that you see within the band they all know they've got a job to do and they're all here to do it and yeah you know and i thought that was really cool to see i just i just like the way that you always had to be on your toes in that room listening to them and it felt very similar to the way that they played that everybody had to listen to each other and respond um, to right. whatever was, was being played. And they carried themselves in that same way with the dialogue and the way that they moved around and, and, you know, and that there was a musicality to the language as well. And, 
and all of the ways that they would talk to each other. And you got to know like, okay, this is the smart guy. This is the dummy. Like this is the funny guy, (laughs) you know? And uh, you know, you knew you were in really good company when Glenn Turman shows up and, and he's, he's there ready to play. And like, I've been watching Glenn Turman my entire life. Like one of my earliest memories of watching any sort of like movie or TV show is gremlins where he plays, he plays the science teacher in gremlins. And I think he's like the first victim of the, of the gremlins even, Um, (laughs) you know, which Uh is kind of funny to think about because he's like the one black guy in the movie and he's the first one to die. But, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, you know, but he's there. And then, uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, the actor who played Brother Muzone in The Wire, and there he is. And yeah. you're just like, you wait. So when you see these guys and you know these guys, you're just like, man, this is a room full of hitters. And this is before yeah. you get to Chadwick Boseman, who comes in and he sort of comes in like a, like a razor through that room of people, thinking yeah. that he has more talent than them, that he's got something to prove to them while at the same time trying to prove that he has nothing to prove to them. If that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, sure. You know, and that like, he's, he's the young one. He's the one with the flash. He's young and hungry. And the old, the, you know, the older men in the band, they've seen some things that have taken away from that hunger. Right. And, but it's interesting to see them try to tell him what's going to happen without trying to give the whole game away, uh, you know, and, but trying to like steal him for the disappointment. Like they try, they try to steal yeah. him for the disappointment and, and he won't, he won't hear it because he thinks like, yeah, this is a new day. This is a new time. And I'm going to be able to do things hundred percent the way that I want to do them. And, and they're, they were trying to tell him like, no, that, that, that has never been our story. I don't know why you think this will be our story now, but this, this will not be our story. But, but uh, you know, those are some of my, my favorite parts. And even, even though there's a lot in there that's deeply unpleasant. um, And, you know, when we get to Chadwick's monster monologue, that was, you could almost see and hear everything that he was saying as if you were living through it. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned it before, you know, rewatching Fences and and then watching this as well. I mean, you get a real sense of what August Wilson does incredibly well with dialogue, like you were saying, and and especially those monologues. And man, uh, it's interesting. I I on some of those monologues that you just brought up that Chadwick performs in here, I literally I felt young Denzel. And and I know it's a they are different people, different character, uh, different type of actors, and especially for how much um, Denzel is just a, a different type of like more more not stoic, but he's just he's just a brick of a man, and his charisma is what actually aligns them more than anything. But right. my goodness, you know when when he dials up. Uh, the confrontation with Cutler towards the end, I literally got you know King Kong <laughs> got shit on me vibes yeah. like uh, like where he was just dialing it up 
screaming to the heavens, you know, going that way. Um, it felt very, very much like he was channeling Denzel, which we noted before that they have kind of a history, Chadwick and, right. and Denzel going back to uh, Chadwick's, you know, college days or, or uh, with Felicia yep, Bertrand and, and, yeah. and that kind of yeah. So um, for anyone who doesn't know the story, Denzel paid for uh, him to go to Oxford with a, a, a bunch of his student uh, classmates there uh, to go to this program, this summer program at Oxford, uh, you know, because he was not only friends with Felicia, but obviously, you know, supported a lot of those type of programs. So Denzel, what a guy, man. <laughs> like, yeah. We already yeah. Denzel, uh, covered that. He's going to be someone, I think, uh, you know, on the very sad day that he's going to leave this earth, we're going to find out that just the amount of fingerprints he has on so many, he has had on so many things over yeah. these, you know, 40 years of working. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, I don't even want to think about that yet because that that's, that's way too hard, especially, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still dealing with, with Chad Chadwick and yes. you know, that this is Chadwick's uh, swan song. And, you know, the first couple of times you see him in this movie you know, especially given what we know now, he looks thinner. Like he doesn't look, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't look well. Like he, he no. doesn't. And um, it was interesting seeing this performance come out of him despite all that, because I, it felt like he took that and steered into it to play Levy. Um, yeah. To play this man who is like 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 I said earlier, he's young and hungry, um, but also someone who, and it's funny that his name is Levy, right? Like it feels like hmm. he's he's this like dam with like a raging water inside of him, and yes, that it sure. is ready to burst forth at any time, and. You know, and it's in the same way that like he's ready to burst forth with his creativity. He's ready to burst forth with his talent and thinking that, you know, there's this better day that's ahead of him. And but that's also right up against this storm of his past, the storm of feeling disrespected, feeling powerless, uh, you know, and all that sort of stuff and feeling like he needs this breakthrough for his own sense of honor. And yeah. the sense of, you know, who he is as a human being, who he is as a man, and that when when it's taken from him, then everything everything turns. And but it was it was escalating the entire time that you're you're watching Levy and you're waiting for literally the levy to break. And yeah. that it's going you know, and and I think this was one of the one of the great commentaries that that Wilson had in this story about the ways that you know racism specifically uh, boxes people in, and mm-hmm. that it boxes people in figuratively, and in the case of this story, also literally, um, yes. with with that that basement rehearsal space and and the door the the the, the door that won't open, and yeah. uh, you know later you see where that door opens to. Um, and you know, that it, it boxes people in, it frustrates them, it steals dreams from them. And then where do they go? And, you know, and it's almost like a rhyme to a raisin in the sun, the, the, you know, the raisin in the sun poem 
and you know mm-hmm. what happens to a dream deferred and and you know and that poem ends with uh Lynx and Hughes writing does it does it simply explode you know does it explode right. and that if that dream explodes it's not going to explode against the the racist system that took the dream away most likely it's going to explode on all the other people that have been boxed in there with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote that down as one of my themes. One of the themes that I didn't mention before, because it kind of alludes to the end a little bit is just kind of like, you know, how, how the cannibalism of your own culture, because white people are pitting black people against themselves to fight for basically what they all equally deserve. So and and you this is a microcosm, you know, a story that involves all of that um and you see it from start to finish and you're right it it, it if I can uh, for this I I will just put it right out there, put all my cards out there. I really like this movie a lot. Um I thought, you know, uh, I will I will say uh bottom lining it slightly uh that if um the Oscars plays games and does this roulette where they're going to give him an award for the five bloods uh, because they want to give best actor to Anthony Hopkins or somebody else in best right. actor. Uh, go fuck yourself at this point. I haven't seen the father yet, so I don't want to be too abrasive about it. But from all the movies that I have seen thus far this year, Chadwick is the best performance I've seen. And Viola Davis is right there as well. And she's currently, if you follow these type of things, uh, on Gold Derby where they do the odds of who's going to win, she's number one right now in in actress. So, I mean, this movie is getting a lot of talk. It's It feels like it could be up for Best Picture too. Um, and I, I am not fighting an ounce of that, especially for a movie that I appreciate in a, in a, in a time with, uh, you know, Oscar films being usually like two and a half, you know, or three hours long or some kind yeah. of bloated, bloated yeah, melodrama. I mean, like, this, this movie, movie moves like it, it races by. Oh yeah. For, and, and again, for a movie where if we were to describe all of the actual events, from start yeah. to finish, it's like five events. Like yes. five things yes. happen. It is perfectly constructed in that way. And, and the beauty of August Wilson's character construction is that the, all, every single scene in this movie is... It makes you itchy because you have two characters, not just one, like as in Fences with Troy, where somebody's taken up all the oxygen in the room. So you have every room you go in the limited amount of rooms in this movie, you have somebody who's dominating or fighting for domination at all times. So it's, it's a power struggle. It's got all those elements that you want uh, to be engaged in, in a movie like this and it doesn't waste your time. And I appreciate that on every level. Yes, because I am someone who, and I'm going to, I'll go on record on this that I think pretty much every movie we get now, you could cut 20 minutes and it would be fine. Absolutely. And you know, like I, I think I was looking over wonder woman, 1984 is going to be coming out and on Christmas. And, and I think like the runtime is like two and a half hours or something. 
And I'm no like, point. why? Why does this? Why does this have to be so long? And like, and hopefully, like, 15 minutes of that is just the credits. Um, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> you know the, these credit sequences for those kind of movies go go on for a really long time. Uh, you know, it's sort of the the post Lord of the Rings effect. Um, you yes, know, where those exactly. credits were so long. You know, and that was before they even like put every name of the fan club in there, um, you <laughs> know, right. which was very proto Patreon, by the way. Like, you know, there was For no sure. Patreon, but they did it. Um, and, you know, this movie, it, it races by like when it was over, it's like, wait, wait. And we're, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Like, I felt like I had just sat down because, you know, not only is it brisk, not only is it, you know, economical in the way that it's constructed and put together but also it's that compelling to watch yeah and you know you it really does draw you into knowing who these people are learning what they're like and what they're trying to do and in 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 very like quick ways uh with the dialogue and with the performance and the interaction between the actors and it keeps you on your toes for for the whole run as well because you just feel like something horrible is going to happen yeah and throughout the movie you're kind of watching folks on this tightrope of hope (laughs) you know of of just like trying to you know on one level this is about just trying to put a record out trying to bang a record out and you know and with uh like you know the the the, the two men who are who are running the, the studio, you know, you've, you've got the one who's like, you know, super angry all the time and doesn't want to massage anything and is trying to assert his dominance over over these creatives. And you've got the other guy who's who's massaging the talent, who's who's actually like greasing the wheels to make sure that they are happy so that they can go and get this record done. Um, you know, and all that's happening while Ma Rainey is here to do the job you know, and is here to get paid, but knows that if this doesn't happen exactly the way that she needs it to happen, then it's not going to be what they want. Not really. You know, so, so of course, if she, if she wants that cold Coca-Cola and it's in, it's basically in the writer, like she says, like, Hey, we agreed that I was going to have a cold Coca-Cola before I get up here and sing. Yeah, you know, and, and this is when everybody's ready to go. It's been like an hour and 15 yeah. minutes past the time that she's supposed to be there, you know, because she got, you know, not only does she leave late from the hotel, but then, you know, she gets in, in a fender bender because, you know, the, the nephew's driving the car and he doesn't quite know where to go. And, you know, is it me or did the nephew look like he needed glasses, but just didn't <laughs> have bit. any? Because it looked like he was like squinting the whole time that he's driving. <laughs> Well, it also I think they were trying to also d- double down on their point of like the sun dominating and and kind of like blinding everybody on top of all of that, too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. D- but, you know, this kid's got a lot of problems. I mean, <laughs> but I, 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 I wrote down in my notes, we can get a little more spoilery now because I, I think we both laid our cards pretty much on the table that we thoroughly enjoyed this movie <laughs> and, and the performances were, were top notch up and down. But um, I, I did write down in my uh, 
part here that, uh, you know, that Sylvester doing the intro without stuttering was the best stutter relief since the King's speech. Like, <laughs> uh, like basically the King's speech makes a whole movie about overcoming this thing that they do in like three minutes here. And it's incredible. Like, <laughs> I never felt such joy um, probably since then. So it's an incredible, uh, incredible feat, uh, that kind of like economical nature of that. So uh, it's awesome. Yeah, um, but then for them for them to actually like get that recording done and then to find out that like the cord was frayed on his part. Yeah, that cord was straight up chewed. I'm like, do you have rats <laughs> under there? What's going on, like, man? What happened? Like, what did you do? You know, and at first they're like, <laughs> Oh man, Sylvester kicked the cord. <laughs> and they're yeah. not like, no, there is no cord. And then they had to do it all over again. Like I have been in those rooms where those kind of things happen and, oh yeah oh it is just murder yeah it's and, gut-wrenching you know just gut-wrenching stuff and like it made me think of uh if you ever want some fun like a fun rabbit hole is to like go on youtube and look up like recording sessions of we are the world oh <laughs> yeah you know it's like yeah. 1984 <laughs> like they recorded it in like one night after the American Music Awards, so that's why they mm -hmm. were, so many people were already there. Right, um, you know they were already there in L.A. You know, a few people did like fly in like that night after the awards. So you sure. know, and you're just like watching this room of like 80 people, and you know, and it's like midnight, 1 a.m., right. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And yeah, it's the 80s, so there's plenty of cocaine, I'm sure. But, <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but there's like Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, like trying to lead this whole in Lionel Richie, you know, they're all like trying to lead this room. And there is like a 12 minute portion of like the recording of those of the, the video of those recording sessions. Yeah, where it's the part of the song where it's uh, like Jennifer Warnes, Huey Lewis and Cindy Lauper. Mm -hmm. And they have this thing this like the bridge part of the, the part of the bridge like and they come in like right after Michael Jackson had started the bridge right. and they go through so many takes to try to figure out like what are the notes, how are they <laughs> going to harmonize with each other, right, and, you know, and all this stuff and you just see like Michael off to the side you know, who came up through like the Motown system, Barry Gordy. And like, you better have this right. And it's going to be one time. And one time is all you get. And, you know, oh, yeah. and all of that stuff, like all of the discipline that had been drilled into him and, you know, and, and sadly literally beaten into him. Yes. And, you know, it, you know, a whole life, you know, since he was a small child, like swimming with sharks and, oh, yeah. you know, and every single take he gets up there in his perfection every single yes. take and then they go to the other three and there's like Huey Lewis going flat like every time and then Jennifer <laughs> Warren's not quite knowing where she wants to go and then like Cindy has to like figure out like what sort of like soulful take is she gonna do and there's like a part where they are they almost have it but then they they play it back and Cindy Lauper and remember what Cindy Lauper's look was back then oh yeah Mm -hmm. All of her jewelry and bangles and earrings and necklaces. <laughs> yeah. They killed the take because you heard them all clinking on the <sighs> microphone. Christ. And so like, all these people are like, Cindy, <laughs> you got to take all that off. And she's like, oh no, my earrings. And she like takes them all off, you know? And then like, 
other people that are there are starting to like try to help them out with the notes. And so right. like you see like like Steve Perry from Journey comes over and he's talking to them. And then like Kenny Loggins <laughs> comes over and he's talking to them. And then like you, and, and then you just see like Lionel Richie come over and he's like, okay, these are the notes and this is it. Now and, and like and then like, <laughs> and, and, like you see him just he's just trying to hold it together at this point. Right. And then they finally <laughs> figure it out and that's the magic we get on the thing. And that is recording. That's what recording right. is like. <laughs> you know? Yes. You know, so, so, so Sylvester is a another entry in a long line of like <laughs> the 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 bomb that you throw in the middle of a recording because they just have to be there. And and again, it's 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 really easy to feel like, no oh, man, like Ma, we gotta just he can't do it. He right. Can't do it. <laughs> You know, and Cutler's like, he can't do it. Like, and he goes behind Ma's back, which, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and she's like, nope, we do what I say. And, and again, it goes back to the idea that, like, she's playing a larger game than what they're playing. Yeah. And, you know, and that, like, this, this kid came up from, from the South and, and he's here to get to make some money, like make some honest money to send back home. And, uh, you know, be, and it's her and it's Ma's way of like telling her her sister and her family that I'm taking care of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my goodness, uh, I, I can't speak highly enough about Viola Davis. Like, you know, I, I don't understand in a way like she's been on my radar since probably 08 when she did doubt yeah and and you know obviously the help in 2011 you know put her more on the map and she's slowly kind of just building this impressive resume you know whether it's tv with how to get away with murder or you know she won best supporting actress with fences you know it's i don't understand why she's not i mean she's obviously on notice for a lot of people like a lot of people appreciate her work but she should be like in the conversation how people speak about Meryl Streep or yeah, how people she speak be about it up like she should be yeah. able to just like Meryl like do 18 movies a year you know right. to, the, to the point where like people now talk about Meryl being you know being overrated because she has the freedom <laughs> to be bad in things. You sure. Know? <laughs> you know, because, yeah, she gets like, to have you know, fun The quality now. control yeah. isn't quite there anymore. It kind of reminds me of, like, Robert De Niro by the 2000s, where he's oh, like, well, that, oh, no, that's a whole different story. I'm just going to make, like, anything I want. I'm going to make anything, and I'll do yeah. anything I want to do. And that's where Meryl is, and, you know, and God bless her, because, you know, why not? Like, you put all this work in. Go sure. and, and enjoy the sandbox and, you know, and if you're going to do like some serious, amazing, profound, dramatic work in one project and then go be a giant ham and terrible in another one, <clears throat> the prom, uh, then then go ahead and, and, and do that, you know, but, uh -huh. you know, where is that for, for Viola Davis, um, you know, especially when you consider that part of her doing How to Get Away with Murder, which I think went on for like five seasons, um, yeah, you know, something somewhere like that. in yeah. there. Um, Five or six. That, yeah. You know, those big juicy roles weren't coming. 
No, and I understand TV can take up a lot of time, but no. I mean, she should be. It's it's ridiculous. Like, you know, and and she was like, you know, yeah, I need these big juicy roles where I can do like a million different things and chew up all the scenery and all all this sort of stuff. And it wasn't coming. Shonda Rhimes showed up and said, yo, come do this. And and so, you know, she went for it. But, you know, yeah, like she wasn't getting, you know, those big juicy roles, you know, in movies because she was busy filming a TV show. That's sure. That's for certain. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you just see her on screen and she's just mag- magnetic and she's she's powerful. And, you know, and I think, you know, the other thing that she she I feel like she dares you to be like, oh, this is a very sexy woman also. Like, sure. Like she, yeah. she dares you. She dares you to be like, yeah, look, look at me. Look, look at me, you know, and, you know, even yeah. like when she made Widows. Um, where you know it starts off with like the sex scene of like her and Liam Neeson because she's like, look, I'm sexy as hell. Look yes, she me. is. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, and uh, you know, and and she, and it's like she demands for for that to be taken into account, which you know we you know we don't even have to get that far into it, but you know we we know just like the horrific legacy with racism and the way that you know it applies with black women and especially dark skinned black women such as Viola and you know and how like desexualized they end up being or not seen as like you know these like sex symbols or like objects of desire in in the way that you know that their white counterparts do or their their fair skinned counterparts do right for sure and you know, to me, she has made that a point. And you see that with Ma Rainey and how, like, how sensual Ma Rainey is in this movie. Yes. Um, you know, even just in the way that she stands and the sway of her hips and, you know, and, and you know, and, and uh, Viola, you know, rocking a, a tasteful but also very blatant cleavage. Like, yes. You know, because yes. she's like, yeah, like y- y'all know I have these, so <laughs> right. You know, let's we may as well put them out here. It's like Melissa Villasenor on SNL, like when she was like dressed as Dolly Parton. She's like, yes, and these are my regular big old things. You yes, know? <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's and that's my It's like, yeah, yeah, these are here. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're if you're gonna gain weight for a role and really kind of be so transformative, you might as well have some fun with it too and flaunt what your natural goods are too on on top of it. So uh, I wanted to talk about her transformation a little bit because between her and longtime veteran costume designer Ann Roth, they did an amazing job. I don't know if um, when you watch any of the Smithsonian stuff or whether they mention it, there was literally like if you were say uh, to, to counter and be like, uh, go image search uh, Bessie Smith, who they mentioned in the film. Mm-hmm. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of images of Bessie Smith. They said they had seven photos they could yeah. find of Ma Rainey to, to work off for this. And my goodness. And we saw them during the credits. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> yes, exactly. And so imagine you're taking such small stuff to work with and then create such a unique interesting vision of this woman whether it's 
you know, that opening scene where they're they're performing live or both versions, whether it be the tent version or the the large big, you know, theater stage show version of that. You get to Which see was gorgeous, by the way, just unbelievable. Like, yeah, so gorgeous the way that it was shot and the way that it was put together and the dancing girls and all that stuff and, and all those like beautiful, like amber hues with the cinematography and everything like everybody looked great. And not to mention, like we keep talking about the economy, it's such a fast way to fa- like get into Levy's character so quickly to just literally shine a spotlight where it didn't need to be. Yeah, and it, it's oh man, so and when quick. Mom's like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah," and then she For just sure. starts singing. It was like, "Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not that's not happening here." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. Sh- but I did want to just put on people's rare. Anne Roth is mm-hmm. like so detailed and did an amazing job with all the costumes here, not just Ma Rainey. But I know she took a such a particular interest in really making that one pop and and come to life. Um, she's been around. I I think she's been around since the mid '60s because she did Midnight Cowboy. You know, Dressed to Kill, 9 to 5, Working Girl, Birdcage, you know, Talented Mr. Ripley. This woman never All stops working. With, like, iconic looks. Yes. In terms of, like, she, you know, in costumes and, you know, and how they fit the characters. Very iconic for sure. looks. Like, yeah, you mentioned those movies. And, I, yeah, one of the things that you that you always remember are are the clothes in those movies. Yeah. And, and, and like you mentioned, the cinematography, just a, a quick... Uh, talk about Tobias Schlechler. Um, He's a perfect guy too. We kept saying like almost every position here is like unbelievably handpicked by Denzel and the production staff. Murderers Uh, row talent. Like we can get into the casting director for this movie. Yeah. I mean, like cast like Brokeback mountain and a whole bunch of other great things. Yeah. Uh, And Tobias here, like he did dream girls and the beauty of the beauty and the beast, you know, update. So he knows how to make, performance even in smaller spaces here are not as illustrious as setting like a old recording studio like this to really know how to stage them and make them pop and really get that energy that you need from shooting live performance so my goodness uh you know hats off to denzel for top to bottom just knowing exactly you know who to pick here and i think that's it's it's a strength and it shows in the work. And and that's yes. what I hope people take from this. Um, what do you hope, just because uh, we're, we're getting late in the game here, what do you hope people take from this? And, and what do you hope, uh, you know, the legacy of this film, besides being the last film of Chadwick Boseman, uh, goes going forward? You know, I hope that this is the kind of thing that... Uh, going forward like i would imagine you would see this film being played in schools that you would see this work as as like a textbook you know there's a lot about wilson that lends itself to like textbook type study but i think the great thing about wilson is that he's able to pack this history in and able to pack this education in but he does it in such like a deeply compelling storytelling mode uh, that like everything is rich and you can let it wash over you. And then you can go and say like, well, let me, let me like dive a little deeper into all this stuff and see, you know, why he was saying what he was saying. But, you know, he, 
he was very big on these things being representational and very big on the idea of art by black artists being representational and being able to express the soul and being able to express the soul of, of, and the humanity of not just the artists themselves, but of black America as a whole, because that's a burden that we live with and going forward with it. I think it's a great introduction to that. I think that the way that this was produced and we talked about just the murderer's row of different generational talent that's involved in this, that that also speaks to a lot of what Wilson himself did with his characters and with his storytelling, that these are people who are living in the present and yet the past is always with them at the same time. Right. And that because of the way that, that the past clings to people, even the attempts to build a different future and the attempts to build a better future, if no one else is letting go of that past and they can't, they can't get there or the past is going to come up and swallow them in a certain sure. way. And, you know, you, you, you see that happen here. And I think that often is a pretty strong element in your best uh, black art or in stuff that, even if, if it's not like 100% black art, it's if it's stuff that involves like black characters and black storytelling, uh, that that's a theme that kind of comes up again and again. And, you know, you think, you know, just a year ago, we were watching the, the Watchmen miniseries on HBO and mm-hmm. that they, they use that same idea of the past is always with you. And, uh, you know, and, and how that comes together with, where people are and where, you know, where people are stuck and where, where, you know, they're trying to progress and where they fail. And that happens here in, in this story. And I just think it, it deserves recognition. It deserves awards. You know, I, I'm not like a big, like awards person. Um, however, the recognition is valid and the recognition is important and it's important from an industry perspective and it's important in terms of what gets talked about throughout the ages. And this movie is just incredibly well done. It's very well put together. It's, it's crafted and you feel the, the crafted nature of it. It's, it's like, it's like getting a vintage Mercedes where For sure. every, every piece was made by hand and fitted together by hand. And you, you feel that with, with this movie and you feel that with the sadness of, of, of everything that happens. And, and you feel that even with the, uh, with the changed ending um, and, you know, and talking about, you know, what belongs to whom and where does exchange become appropriation and where does appropriation become theft. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and, you know, we think about like, you know, what's the cover version and all that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, and every year that the Grammy nominations come out, the same conversation comes along about who's respected and who's not through these awards. And I just think, uh, you know, above all, like this film is going to be remembered because it is Chadwick Boseman's swan song. And it, like you said earlier, it, it's a hell of a way to go out. And 
I think I it's his best performance. I don't know how you feel about that. You know, it. I think it is because, you know, him playing Black Panther was, was great and all of that was, was amazing. However, this is a showpiece. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that character of Levy, it's a real showpiece. And yes, it's a it monster. It is a monster of a, of a role to play. It's a monster of a performance that you have to give in order to show the pain, to show the pathos, to show the horror and, uh, you know, and, 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 and the ambition and the drive and the talent. And, and, you know, and you see this man who thinks that he's ahead of the game until he's not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that it's, it's devastating. It's, it's really devastating stuff to see. And if you need to know everything you need to know about who Chadwick Boseman is, is right there in that work. And when we talked about him the last time uh, on this podcast, you know, we talked about this idea that he saw himself and he comported himself in a way that said that the, the previous generations run through the work that he's doing. And here, I feel like it feels like he studied every actor who's ever played Levy and felt them go through himself as he's delivering what he's doing. For sure. You know, and that like, if he had a real talent, of being able to do something that is entirely his own while also feeling like he's got all these other beings with him to make it happen. Yeah. And, and this is the greatest showcase of that, the greatest record of that, that, that we have. And we can be thankful that this happened because this was a gift and we're now going to get to watch this gift forever. You know, it, it's, it's really sad that we're not going to get more of it, that we're not going to get more of this particular singular brilliance. Right. But we, we have it. We recorded yeah. it. It's on, it's yeah. pressed on the record. We got it. Yeah. And now the people inspired by him, to go and perform they're going to take those pieces and they're going to channel it through them like there's going to be someone who has that power as an actor as a performer and we're going to see chadwick move through them and that's going to be dope as hell when we get there it, it, it really is but you know we're very i'm very thankful that that we have this record that we have this moment and that it looks like he gave everything and and left nothing in the tank for this. Absolutely. I mean, from every monologue that he has here and, and he's just so compelling throughout the entire film and, you know, every, every big scene for how good Viola Davis is here. Like just the, the two big, huge monologues that he has between, uh, you know, the discussion of his mother's rape scene and the uh the you know 
taunting Cutler's God scene. We'll, we'll label it as that. I mean, it's an incredible turn. And then obviously to stick the landing at the end um, with, you know, being, you know, just broken and then taking it out on somebody else in, in that fashion and really seeing all the themes that we laid out here in full display is, is incredible. And I'm glad you brought up the, the ending change there as well with the, the band uh, doing Levy's song to kind of really, you know, twist the knife of this story um, that I, I, I thought was a welcomed addition, especially in a cinematic sense. I thought to leave it, you know, kind of with just the stabbing was not the way that this story should end. And I yeah. think that it was a, a quality addition um, yeah, that made I a lot of sense. It was a great addition because, like, like you said, the, the twist of the knife, and you know, we just saw the literal twist of the knife. You know, yes. when, when you know when when Levy kills uh, Glenn Turman's character, we're we're deep in the spoilers now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> you know, so you know, and when that happens, and it, and it's very sad. It's it's so sad, and you know, I was watching it with my wife, and and sh- she's a gasper. When uh, when the movies come on and yeah. you know and and that was a gasp gasp moment and you know I, my gasping doesn't come on the outside but it was I, I felt it inside and it was like oh no because like I yeah. knew <laughs> I knew there was no other way this was gonna go and, right uh, you know and and you know I I I've grown up in the the whole stereotype of the like hey you don't step on on a dude's shoes. And, sure. you know, and, and on some level, it's like the most like stereotype thing in the world. Yes. And, you know, that like is like the home of like any Def Jam comedian that you've <laughs> yes. ever, ever seen. But uh-huh. this this story shows like the sadness of it and shows like why that even would be a thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, because and they set it up well. Yeah, and they set it up extremely well and that like all of this is about it's about the principles that are attached to what those shoes mean and the principles of 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 honor, the principles of you know, dignity because you know, in our world dignity is money and dignity yeah. is things. You know, for for so many people, that that's the that's the stuff that that uh that makes people notice you. You know, and, yeah. you know, if, you know, if you have more money, if you have more things, then you get more attention and you get more sway. And that that's what it is in America. That's the game in America. And, sure. you know, and so they, they put all of that in there and, you know, it was just really sad to see. And then, yeah, you get, you get that, that literal, literal twist of the knife. And then you get that figurative twist of the knife with the, with the the cover with the the all white band and it's it's as stiff as can be it's it's as soulless as can be um i i read some interviews where they had to tell those those actors you know and those performers because you know those those were real musicians who were who were being recorded there like you can't swing you can't swing (laughs) with this you got to tone it back you got to cut it back you got to cut it back like you can't like you, know, you can't do that, and you, know, right. you can't you can't play this as loose as you actually would. <laughs> like like you have to you have to play it this way, and you know it was it was uh, it, it was like a, a great piece of theater where you take the sadness 
and you put it up against something that also is comical and sad. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a true irony of like the fool, like taking the terrible thing and pointing out how terrible it is in its absurdity. And, and, and there it is. You're, you're left with this dissonance as you're walking out of, of the movie, you know, and, and in that way it actually even feels more theatrical than, uh, than the stage show would be. Yeah. Than the stage play would be because, because you, you're, you're, you leave this movie with all of these conflicting emotions in you um, as, as you're, as you're walking out. So really hats off. Well done to everybody. Like I'm, it's something I'll, I'll be watching again and again because if you know it it was just that good and again we we get to see just some full firepower on on display in some very cool ways you know around Violet Davis and and Chadwick Boseman and uh you, you couldn't really ask for anything more <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I couldn't ask for anything more from you as well. Thank you for your time and, and jumping on this. Um, and you did an excellent job. So I appreciate you being here. Um, is there anything coming up for your Blurred Vision series or anything you want to plug before we get out of here? You know, um, yeah, I'll be writing some more stuff for uh, for the Blurred Vision column and uh, just, you know, continuing to write regularly on Forces of Geek. Right now, I've kind of been on a tear of doing more comic book reviews. Which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, is something that, you know, I, I hadn't really like envisioned as a thing that I would do for the site. And then, you know, they just started like funneling me, me some stuff because, you know, I'm a Wonder Woman reader. So they started sending me that and then they started sending me some other stuff. And and I'm really having fun with it. I'm really having fun like looking at these comics and trying to figure out whatever the modern continuity of all these things are, because I'm 40 years old. I've been reading comics for 30 years. Right. And. You know, you, you always get to a point where it's like, I I don't have the time or the energy to keep up with all of what's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, but now with the internet, you're able to go and like look up, you know, different uh, different fan sites and all this stuff and you can catch up on things. And, you know, but doing these reviews, I'm like, wait, I actually know more than I thought I did. Or I'm remembering things <laughs> that I forgot that I knew. And, uh, you know, and then just being able to, pick apart the art form a little bit more and the experience of reading comic books. And also, uh, you know, as, as, as a 40 year old fan, uh, I mostly read things in print still when it comes to comics. Um, I right. hadn't really used like the readers or the, the e-publications and for the reviews I've had to use the e-publications. And so like, I've been learning how to read comics that way and yeah. seeing how the art styles are changing and how the content is changing and uh, you know, and all that sort of stuff, especially in this like prestige TV world where any of these could be optioned for a series at any time. Um, and, you know, when you're seeing more of this stuff get made into series and, you know, and in, and in some cases, you know, they, they, they might end up better than the original work does, you know, like I, I just finished season two of the boys and, you know, I, I enjoyed the comic, but I think the TV show actually does a better job than the comic did it. it you know, that's it, what I hear too, you know, like they're, they're able to sort of let some of the Garth Ennis stuff go like his predilections and, and, uh, you know, obsessions and, and the brutality <laughs> yeah. and, oh, the brutality is there, but, 
I think they take it in different directions. And right. You know, well, there's and, levels of brutality, is all I was saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, you know, but they they're able to do that. So so that's a lot of what I'm doing for them right now. And you know, but it, you know, when the when the mood strikes me, you know, I I, I get on that computer and, and start typing out some more stuff about about blurred vision and and particularly about that intersection of of just my life experience and how that comes together with with all of my, my fandoms and, and, you know, and the industries and, and, you know, and, and the diversity and equity and inclusion of it all. So, you know, for to sure. me, all that stuff is deeply uh, interesting, you know, for some folks they are like, eh, these are just stories, like who cares? But I'm like, but people make these stories. So, right. you know, whatever we are and whatever, you know, we're walking around with, we end up putting all that stuff in there. So, you know, and sometimes that can take you to some, some really interesting places uh, if, if you sit back and, and check it out for a little bit. So, you know, and, and in the same way, I always say, you know, if you change the players, you change the game. And, you know, so sometimes you can see stuff and because of who made it, the tone changes or the, the point of view changes and all that sort of stuff. It's like the difference between you know, the, the, the first Transformers movie and the way that treated like the Megan Fox character, you know, and, and watching the Bumblebee movie that came out a couple of years ago and, right. you know, which was written by uh, Christina Hodson who went on to make the, uh, the Birds of Prey movie, you know, mm -hmm. she, she wrote that and, you know, and even something like the Birds of Prey movie where like, you know, I'm watching that and it's like, I'm like, Hey, there are parts of this that I do not get, but, Oh, wait a minute they didn't make this for me. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, you true. Know? And then when you start looking at it that way, you're like, Oh, now I see what they're cooking on. You know? right. Cause, Cause they're making it for this particular way of looking at things, which is not exactly my way, but some parts are similar. So, you know, you start doing that and you, I feel like you, you end up being more uh, inclusive about what you watch and about meeting things at what they were trying to do and whether it accomplishes that or not. You know, it's a very Roger Ebert kind of way of looking at stuff. Turns For out. sure. Well, like I said, man, you did a great job on this one. I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, I know you got some, uh, awesome, uh, karaoke and other stuff uh, to enjoy for your <laughs> evening so i won't hold you back from that any longer so thank you so much for coming on and everyone go check out uh the blurred vision series and all his reviews on forces of geek so thanks again marvin thank you